Hey, welcome to our Revelation Talkback. It's our first one. This is Thomas Nelson. I'm with Katie Dickens and Will Carlisle. Then there's John Vogt back in the peanut gallery in the corner back Woo-hoo. over there, working on a laptop, doing something and waving to everyone. Way to go, John. So, Keep way it up. to go. That's right. Um, hey, we're going to try to rapidly run through a few questions that we've heard pop up after um, last night, which was our third night in the book of Revelation. And just to review, we covered chapters 6, uh, chapter eight verses one through five, and then went back and looked at chapter seven. Quick little thought, Will and Katie, here we go. Somebody mm-hmm. asked us like, Hey, why didn't you go chapter six, chapter seven, then the first few verses in chapter eight. And that's, this is really important for understanding mm-hmm. how this book is written. So true or false, everything in this book is chronological. True. Uh, Katie. <laughs> I'm going to go with false. Correct. Dang it. That's right. That was my second guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, 50-50 shot. It was a good try, Will. Uh, we'll give you another time. chance later. Next time. That's right. Not everything in this book is written chronologically. Mm-hmm. It is an unveiling of a vision. Mm-hmm. John sees and hears different things. And there are times that he sees what is coming down the road. And then what else is going to come after that? But then there's other times when the vision steps things back. Mm-hmm. And so chapter... Uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say a quick side note on like helping understand that sort of structure. If you think about the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, you have that, you know, famous for unto us a child is born. Isaiah 53, you also have the other famous Jesus passage, the, um, you know, that he grew yeah. up before him like a young plan, like the Pierce for our transgressions thing. The messianic promises are not like, it's not like, this big timeline and then there's like this messianic section but it's yeah. kind of different windows throughout the book so it's kind of written like that yeah mm-hmm. i think that's very important um were you gonna say something katie i was gonna talk about the mountain range yeah yeah metaphor. say that say that so this was helpful i asked my dad about these prophecies and he said he thinks of it in terms of like you're looking at a mountain range And when you're looking at it, so you're just looking at the text, it all looks like it's flat. It all looks like the same distance away. But some of those mountains are way closer. Some of them are super far from those front mountains. Some are in between. And it's, you know, with some of these prophecies, as far as when they happen in history in this book, they may all look like they're all, you know, on the same plane. But there's all these different planes of when it happens. There's literally a picture of mountains behind you right now and if you said what is the distance between them all how far apart are they which ones like you can't really tell no it's very hard to tell Mm -hmm. and so that's that's the beauty also of revelation and i think us going over like the thirty thousand foot view Mm -hmm. um you know spending eight or nine weeks in it some people will spend a year in it you can continue to dig and dig and dig in this book Mm -hmm. um so now chapter six seven and the first few verses and eight are fairly chronological However, the reason we skip to eight is because eight has the seventh seal. And and so if you're just going in order of seals, you're going to go all of chapter six, then you're going to go to chapter eight. Chapter seven really kind of describes this moment within the, the sixth seal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it bleeds over a little bit and it just it's just easier to say, let's look at all of all seven of the seals and then let's go back and look at this moment that's captured in the midst of those seals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that being said, you should just go back and listen to the sermon, read the text for yourself, but without rehashing everything we talked about, we do want to hit 
a few specific things. What do you think about verse one of chapter six? Mm. These seals are judgments of God, right? Mm. Like the four horsemen that in my opinion, and again, this is, uh, I'm open to debating this with folks. In my opinion, the four horsemen happened pretty close together or right, right around the same time. I think, I think the next, uh, the next three seals are sequential. It seems like they kind of unfold one into the next, into the next. Um, but it's Jesus who opens these seals of judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's fascinating. I always, you know, I always think of like the devil doing all these bad things, mm-hmm. but Jesus like releases these seals of judgment. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I loved your comparison last night to the book of Job because I immediately thought of that, how, you know, Satan approaches God and it says in verse seven in Job one or Job two, he says, um, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils and how previously in that chapter, the Lord says to Satan, behold, he's in your hand. Like the Lord is giving the permission for what happens and he's sovereign. Like he is still sovereign over everything that happens in his life. And I think that, yeah, you know, is equally applicable here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was trying to find this real quick. It's in, I think Genesis nine, but the, it reminds me of um, the covenant God makes with Noah. And it's really like this full circle fulfillment of the beginning of this, of, you know, the God promises to never flood the earth again with water, but he says it will one day be flooded with fire. It will one day be destroyed. And, um, and so, it's kind of like a reminder that this is part of this huge, you know, storyline that spans the whole Bible. No, I think you're exactly right. I'm, I'm looking up a quote from one of the guys, a guy named Colin Smith. I'm using several different folks who have written on revelation, but this is one of the guys I've used. Um, he says, we might want to question God's motives and his purity, but since we have no concept of what it is like to be holy, pure and righteous, we're in no place to judge the Lord. We don't know what is best or what is truly good. He does. Mm-hmm. So the believer mm-hmm. needs to rest in that, even though it seems as, as if evil surrounds us and all is lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is something really holy about this book. And I think it's, it's, that's part of the reason it's revered. Part of the reason it's even avoided because there is such um, this X factor of you're seeing God do things and he's not, He's not giving a justification all the time mm-hmm. of like, and uh, this is why I should do this, or this is why I should do this. Mm-hmm. He, we're seeing him act, yeah. and it's up to us to respond and say, okay, do I trust that he is good in this? Do I trust that he has a plan in this? Um, but it is very Job-esque at yes. the end where mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't necessarily answer all of Job's questions, but he yeah. shows, but Job, I'm God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, so were you going to say something else, Will? Nope. Oh, I thought you took that breath, that pregnant pause of like, and I have a thing. <laughs> Something nope. to say. <laughs> well, let's do. We, do we want to run on to this next one because yes. I think, um, I think our very own. Can I name the person who wanted to know about this? Kylie Dolan. Why not? Yeah, Kylie. Yeah, Kylie. Kylie if you're Dolan. out there, if you're out there on uh, podcast land, um, this is for you, kid. <laughs> she asked about the plague um, where one of the the horsemen. Uh, is not to touch the price of oil and wine, but can run up the prices of the things that are valuable. Mm -hmm. So I thought 
this was a very interesting one. Um, and it says, when I opened uh, the third seal, I'm in verse five, chapter six, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. What What are your thoughts on this whole running up the price of necessities, but keeping excessive things yeah. easily attainable? Mm. Yeah. And Oh, go ahead. Will. No, you got it. I was going to say, in one of the commentaries that I have read, it talks about the denarius was a standard daily wage for ancient laborers. So basically it's saying here that food is going to be in such short supply, but then obviously, as you said, these luxuries of the wealthy are going to be untouched. And so I just love you pointing out last night, the idea of like these necessities, these things that we truly need for survival are going to be threatened and aren't going to be readily available. But then these luxuries are, you know, untouched and unharmed. Um, and people will, you know, continue to idolize those. They're not going to be harmed. Yeah. It's like sort of the unraveling of society. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying this in like a, like we're living in the apocalypse sort of way, but we do see this happening in our world Yeah, where like buying a house or even like renting somewhere is, you know, like home ownership is, is becoming harder and harder. And that's like what everyone's talking about, you know, and yeah. like it's the housing market is skyrocketing. And then, you know, like all these basic, you know, like basic things that we need to live and operate in society are becoming mm. more and more expensive. And yet, you know, like entertainment yeah. is becoming more and more like never ending and easily yeah. accessible, mm-hmm. you know, even just things like drug use and pornography are constantly more and more accessible, more and more accepted. And so I, I don't know, that's kind of like where my mind goes is, and we know that these things like that's really detrimental to our society that mm-hmm. like it is, you know, we have people who are just giving in and living like meaningless lives of these like meaningless pleasures and not able to like operate in a higher sense. And I think that's kind of like this undoing a society that is hinted at here in chapter six. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. I've used that line. I just kind of made it up, but the lullaby of Satan where yeah. he tries to keep you, he tries to keep you sedated. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if you consume a lot of wine? You're numbed. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I really think this is, I think this is a literal and metaphorical at the same time deal of, I think that if you consume pleasures all the time, because you can't have the necessities, Mm -hmm. it's a numbing effect. Yeah. And I think that's part of what this third rider on the black horse does is that rider's numbing people Mm -hmm. and numbing people and really dumbing down the world. Mm. And just getting people to believe, well, as long as I can cope with these pleasures, then it's fine if I don't have the real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I worked at Target in college in the warehouse, which was amazing. Like that's how I kind of what I pictured your college career right there. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Is, is anybody else a little surprised? I think we're all a little surprised. <laughs> okay. But yeah. you know, like, and it, it was one of those jobs where, like, you know, entry level job, but like you made like Target pays fifteen dollars an hour, so it's like a good. You know, and so a lot of these people who are coming from like low income backgrounds are making more money than like anyone else in their family. Sure. And yet, like, if you, fifteen dollars an hour is pretty good for a college kid. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. living the high life. I mean, you've been married for three years, but still, like, it yeah. was like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. But um, but basically, like, what was sad to me is even though like that was like a good wage. You know, you can't like save up and like buy a, a house like realistically, like in the city, especially if you were like in Atlanta doing that. And so, so many of my coworkers just like gave in and basically they just like spend their entire paycheck on weed and booze. Mm-hmm. Like they just, that's like, that was the talk of the day was, you know, going to the Costco liquor store on Friday night and basically spend their whole paycheck on crap. And, you, you know, and, it was like that sedation of just like giving up of yeah. like not oh, advancing yeah. in in the world and just like and obviously there were people I had a lot of coworkers who were like flipping that narrative and who were like saving up and mm-hmm. working several jobs and buying homes and whatever but yeah like that is it was, was kind of like that sense of like sedation and just like oh well whatever like I'll just get like I can't yeah, I don't know. It's just like accepting, like I'll just get what I need yeah. to yeah. have fun mm-hmm. today. Mm. Let let me let me fast forward us just a hair here. Yeah. Um, I I think these this is the thing we could talk. We could do like a whole a whole sermon, a whole paper on each mm-hmm. of these uh, horsemen. Each one I mean, symbol, yeah. And and then still come back and redo it, uh, make edits over and over. So, I it is interesting. You used the word a minute ago. I think tribulation. Yeah. Did you say that word, Will? Yes. Okay, perfect. I don't know know if you said it or not. In my mind, in my mind, you did. Um, (laughs) So in in Hebrew language and Hebrew thought, there is like a holiday, and then there's sometimes the great day of the holiday. Mm -hmm. And so there is a tribulation. And I think maybe you maybe you just alluded to this, Will. Like you said, I don't know that we're in it. I do actually think that like this is all part of the tribulation these four which is a trial a testing mm-hmm. the the judgment of god these four horsemen that came out they're part of it clearly there are antichrist clearly there some of these things are happening i think some are yet to happen and that's just that's my conviction people would would debate that with me mm-hmm. but i think some of these things are yet to happen but some are happening there is this idea in in revelation of not just the tribulation but check this out the great tribulation. Mm. Yeah. And so that is when the great day of the Lord happens. That is when, um, and Daniel talks about that. That is when like things are going to go like from bad to worse to like really worse because people are going to mm. realize God is showing up. Mm. Parallel that with the plagues of Egypt and mm-hmm. they started rough, but then they got yeah. really, really yeah. bad. So mm-hmm. there is going to be a great tribulation. I don't know that we're in, I don't think we're in that right now. I think that would be unmistakable. It seems unmistakable as you read Revelation. Yeah. But as you read this, there is some moments where you might wonder, like, is that really happening or not? For instance, yeah. the sun becoming black. 
Mm-hmm. Is that just like metaphorical literature or is like the sun does it like disappear somehow? Yeah. Yeah. What mm-hmm. um you're looking at me like you have a thought there, yes. Katie. I'm ready. Well, I think obviously people have different takes on it, different interpretations, but I know we talked about just the different times in scripture where we have seen that, whether it was Jesus on the cross or, um, you know, when the Lord comes down on Mount Sinai, when Egypt was judged with the plagues of the plague of darkness. Um, I think it's just something that we've seen in a time and place in history or even with the sun, like the Lord has caused the sun to stay in the sky when the Israelites are battling. So, I mean, I loved how we talked about last night, just the the possibilities of this being an actual, you know, tangible physical event versus something that we are interpreting um, symbolically. But then, of course, it just depends on the interpretation. But I think so, it's important to look at when it has happened. I'll, I'll tell you how I, how I read this and I'll read the verse. It's in chapter six, verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. Now, this Mm -hmm. is interesting to me. So what we see John do in this book is he hears things sometimes, and then he turns and he looks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When he looks, it's often a different description than what he heard. Mm -hmm. It's it's an accurate full description. Mm -hmm. And so in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, he looked. So he sees this happen. He sees an earthquake and he sees the sun go black. And then he uses a simile. He says black as sackcloth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think I would read this part as a literal thing that happens, a great earthquake and something. I don't know what, uh, what the sun, how it goes black or what that, what that fully entails. I think that is to be determined. But it does seem like that's what happens here. See, I actually would read that symbolically because of the simile, Um, which like I, you know, who's to say one way or the other. But when I read that, like to me, sackcloth, that's like this uh, sign of like poverty and repentance often or whatever, or just penance, you know, paying for sin Um, in the scripture. Likewise, with the full moon became like blood. Um, so I don't know. I think that's one of those things where um, the like historical, you, you know, like that could, I don't know, like it could yeah, happen. Like it's certainly not outside the realm of like God's power. Um, but it also like could be it, this really strong, like him connecting it to these symbols yeah. uh, could be pointing to like a more non-physical reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think something that has really stood out just in conversations about revelation in this series that I think is important for all of us is just that there are people such intelligent and smart people that are on both sides of the camp that are, you know, have these strong opinions loosely held. Mm -hmm. I like that phrase. Um, And just strong convictions about, okay, I really think this is symbolic, or I think this really refers to 80, 70, or I really think that this is happening way in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think if we get too attached 
to those ideas than it is becoming like a selfish, prideful, yeah, yeah. you know, it's about how smart totally. I am. So anyways, I think the smart people on both sides of the camp, it's good for us to have the strong opinions and have them loosely held. Yeah. I and, and I think it's also interesting to go back to the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Jesus says in verse 29 of chapter 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one from each end of heaven to the other. So I just think it's, I think it's good to ask the question, okay, if it is metaphorical, why would it be metaphorical? And if it is literal, why would it be literal? And which one seems to make the most sense? Uh, and I, so I see like, like, man, well, Jesus did say this is what's going to happen. And so I, I think it's more, I think it's literal with a poetic flair to it. Hmm. I don't know how it's all going to go down, but it seems to me like it will go down pretty, pretty similar to this. And, and yet at the same time, I think we should all still be able to have lunch together and like, <laughs> and like yeah. be, be in fellowship with one another. John shaking his head. No, he really wants to take no, sides of a camp. No more, there. No more of that. Um, <laughs> so I think as you hear me teach it, you probably will hear me teach it a little more on the, on the literal side. I have, I am looking at commentaries from different people that are persuaded different ways. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to, go as neutral as I can go while still teaching the text. Um, but if you noticed, I left out things like the rapture last night. No, I didn't say anything about the rapture. There are a lot of folks that think after chapter six, the church is gone or after, um, the, the sixth seal, the church is gone. Hmm. Um, and I think it's, there's, this is where, by the way, people come up with the, the three ideas of, um, post-trib mid-trib, pre-trib okay. as far mm-hmm. as a rapture goes just a quick little deal because i'm not probably not going to preach much on this um but if you are a, a believer in the rapture meaning that the church is taken away and brought to heaven with the lord as god gives the final judgment mm-hmm. then a lot of people would say the church is taken um as this sixth seal is open this would be the great day of the lord other folks would say they think the church goes through the tribulation a little bit um and they would be taken halfway through that would be a mid trip. And other folks would mm-hmm. say the church goes through the whole persecution and tribulation. And then God brings the saints to him and he judges the earth. And that would be a post tribulation. So there's just a little bit, mm-hmm. if you've heard those views, we'll get into later on, like millennial and amillennial and that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so anyway, let's talk about these tribes in chapter seven. Mm-hmm. You have 144,000 of Israel sealed is what the the top of my chapter seven says. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's the human heading in there. But what, what kind of questions do you think are popping up from just, I mean, chapter seven in general mm-hmm. is popping up in people's mind. And that's partly because we just blew through it. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> chapter seven, let's remember is the answer to the question in the people in the great tribulation of the sixth seal saying who can stand before the Lord. Mm. Then mm-hmm. we flash to a scene of heaven where people are standing before the Lord. Katie, you have some thoughts for us? Yes. So 
I love this list of the 12,000 from each of these tribes Mm -hmm. and did a little deeper digging into, you know, who are these tribes? Why are certain ones included and certain ones not included? And there's so much to this that I feel like if you just read over it, you miss it. Um, And I mean, you could just talk about this for so long, but these were a few of the things that I saw is that the tribe of Dan is not included in this. And, um, you know, you think back to Genesis, you learn about the story of Dan and how he is the son of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid. And later throughout the Old Testament, he's referred to as a serpent and his blessing that he's given. Mm-hmm. And then later in what, Deuteronomy. What a blessing, huh? Yeah, what a blessing. <laughs> You're going to be a serpent. Yes. But then later on in Deuteronomy, he's described as a lion, that tribe. And so the only other being in scripture that's associated with both of those animals is Satan. The Antichrist Mm. figure is described as both, you know, a roaring lion. And then also, of course, the serpent. Mm -hmm. So it's just very interesting. All of this symbolism that is all tied together. And so this that tribe is not included And also just throughout, I mean, the history of the tribe of Dan, they're associated with idolatry in the book of Judges and in Second Kings. And um, anyways, just fascinating. You can dive really, really deep into the history of the tribe of Dan. And then it makes sense why they're not included here. But then the tribe of Levi is included. And typically, if you're reading through the Old Testament, like the tribe of Levi isn't assigned any land. Um... And they're just given particular cities, but they don't usually appear in lists of tribes like the 12 tribes. But this time they are mentioned. And when you think about the tribe of Levi and the purposes that they served for ministry for the Lord, it completely makes sense why they would be listed here. So there's just a lot to this list and you could just focus on it and preach a whole sermon on it. It's very interesting. A lot of history. Yes, a lot of history. I do think it's um, interesting that Dan is omitted, like you said, in Levi, the tribe of Levi is included. Um, I also think this is interesting that this is one in verse four that is another one that's heard. And Mm. so he hears about Messianic Jewish believers. That's Mm -hmm. what these these tribes would be. So he hears, John hears about a lot of Messianic Jewish believers, all these Mm -hmm. folks who were Jews who um, came to know the Lord, which, by the way, at Pentecost and after Pentecost, there are some ancient historical accounts that lots of people in Jerusalem and in Israel became followers of Christ mm-hmm. leading up to 70 AD and the dispersion of the Jewish people and the ruin of Jerusalem. But this would be like a lot, a lot of people. And that's what the number 144,000 means. It means lots and lots. Um, and we know that this is a a more symbolic type number and it means lots and lots so he hears there are lots and lots of of people that are are the jewish people that have come to faith in christ mm-hmm. then he looks and sees and do you see the difference what he he hears about all these jewish believers and he hears a specific order and a specific specific tribes mm-hmm. but then he looks and what does he see when he looks yeah the great multitude he sees a great multitude and so mm-hmm. now this is another one of those like interesting readings from the book. Mm-hmm. He, he hears and what he hears is accurate. Mm-hmm. He hears lots of people, lots of Jewish people have come to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think we can look elsewhere in Scripture, and it seems that there there will be a lot of Jewish believers that come to Christ as the future comes on. But then he looks and he sees the heavenly crowd, mm-hmm. and he yeah. sees all yeah. kinds of people, not just Jewish people, gathered yeah. before the throne. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, in mm-hmm. verse nine, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Mm. Yeah, you. To me, like I mean, Revelation, it really is so much more connected. Like to me, it is mm-hmm. so much more connected to like Old Testament prophecy books than any other book in the new Testament, you know? And Mm -hmm, other than like the presence of Jesus, like basically every other way it's got way more in common with like Isaiah or Zephaniah or something like that. But this moment is like this really powerful moment that's foretold in like Isaiah 56 and, uh, or 57 and these, these other, um, Zephaniah three, these other moments where basically like God prophesies that, you know, there's going to be this day where he gathers his people and then people from all nations will gather around and be, be joined around the throne. Mm. And so, yeah, it's like this, this beautiful image of like that happening. And, you know, even just like the contrast of like, there's 144,000, which is, you know, uh, that's 12,000 times 12. Yeah. And so it's, I would definitely say that number is less of like a precise number and more of like a symbolic number, you know, 12, you've got the 12 tribes, the 12 disciples. That's kind of mm-hmm. like the, the God's people number. Yeah. Um, and then that contrasted from this innumerable multitude mm-hmm. and, you know, like, I don't know. That's a powerful image to me. Cause like a hundred thousand ish people, is that's like a lot of people, but you know, that's like a, that's like a SEC football stadium of people <laughs> and then surrounded yeah. by like an innumerable mm, multitude yeah. of others. You know, it, it's like this idea that, you know, what God started in Genesis 12 yeah, is that, that was just, that was just a seed that was planted that out of which this huge vineyard has grown. And, mm. um, and it's really clear in the new Testament that like the, these authors don't want God's people to miss that, that like, this yeah. is for all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seeing God's heart for the nations on display here is so powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember having a conversation with a friend who, um, is no believer and, one thing that we talked about was he just sort of sees Christianity as a Western religion and as, you know, and obviously you could talk a lot about imperialism. You can talk a lot about, you know, just different things in history, but I think images like this, and of course just Christianity did not start in the U S of a, like, this yeah. is not where, this is not the birthplace of Christianity. Yeah, that's right. We, but we, we are borrowers. Yeah, exactly. We're borrowers. This, this is, this is hundred percent originated in the middle East. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And that's exploding in China and mm. just all around the world. Like this is not, you know, American Christianity. There's a bunch of Americans gathered around like this mm. is, as it says, a great multitude of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. I think that really blows our minds we actually pause and meditate on that. It's so powerful and it's very humbling Mm -hmm. um, for us to see ourselves in that context, I think is very healthy. A good reminder. It is. I do think it's important 
to remember there is a distinction here. He does talk about the Jewish believers, and that's mm-hmm. a distinction because, and then he talks about all the believers that are the people of God. And so he, there is a distinction the way John sees it or hears it and sees it. And I do think that it goes back to, you know, if you read it, Romans 9, 10, and 11, what you get to is there's a, a veil that's over the eyes of the Jewish people. And that veil, that hardening of the heart, actually we benefited from because when that hardening of the heart happened to the Jewish people, well, they were like, well, who's going to receive the message? Let's keep mm-hmm. going out into the world. So they got into yeah. the Gentile world and the Gentiles received the gospel. Like there was a hardening of their heart. And now mm. we see like a softening yeah. and all these people that have come to all these Jewish folks that have come to faith. And then we're all part of God's family. We're all put in together and it's mm. a, it's a beautiful thing. And then they celebrate the, the rest of chapter seven is they celebrate Sukkot. They celebrate the Feast of Booths. Mm. Mm. And I just, I would challenge you on your own if you're listening, just do a little research on Sukkot or the Feast of Booths. It's the happiest feast of all the seven feasts. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine like a giant family camping trip with your family and like all your family friends and their family friends. Mm -hmm. Mm. Every year in Jerusalem, they would come to Jerusalem and they would camp out and the kids loved it and the families had a great time. And they would remember the Israelites in the wilderness, in their tents, following the Lord around, and they would just celebrate. They were like, look what mm. God did, and now we dwell with God in this temple, like in this in this town where the temple is. Yeah. But now these folks are celebrating once again fully, and they're celebrating being with the Lamb, and they're clothed in white robes. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I, love, I love that verse, um, verse 14. It says, the second part of it says, they have washed their robes and made them white in mm. the blood of the lamb. Mm. Mm. We're going to keep seeing this theme come up over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. There are those who, by God's grace, have washed their robes. Well, just mm. listen to the language. Washed robes in blood and they come out white. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, super poetic, super real language. And simultaneously, mm-hmm. there are those who are repulsed by the Lamb. Mm-hmm. This book is going to leave no one in the middle. And that's, that's I think, my challenge as we move forward these next few weeks. Do your research. Ask your questions. Is it figurative? Is it literal? Is there a rapture? Is there not? Is there, like, how does this all play out? Like, ask all your questions, but continue to come back mm-hmm. to this idea, this truth that there are sheep and there are goats. There are saved and there are unsaved. There are God's children and the children of promise, and there are the children of wrath, and there Mm. is no one in between. Mm. And that ought to be a somber thought and a sobering thought and one that gives us a real sense of urgency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me be a light for the Lord. Let me not be ashamed of him. Let me have an opportunity to talk to this person or that person about this wonderful Jesus. Yeah. I think that's a good place for us to maybe land the plane. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could Absolutely. go We could go way too long. This yeah. Need it's to incredible. land the plane. It's incredible. All right, well, we'll land the plane, and uh, we'll come back in. Uh, we, we won't come back next week. We're taking a week off. We'll come back in two weeks, and we'll do another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, for uh, Katie Dickens and Will Carlisle, I'm Thomas Nelson. I don't even know why I said it like that, but that's just how we do it at Christ Covenant. Thanks for listening. <laughs>